Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Sahara Rose, who is a best-selling author and speaker. She's leading the conversation around Ayurveda and spirituality and has been called a leading voice for the millennial generation into the new paradigm shift by Deepak Chopra. Hi, Sahara. Hi, Nikki. Thanks so much for having me here today. Thank you for joining us. I've really loved watching your journey and I'm really excited about your new book. And I I just am super excited to talk about that and, um, and just kind of how you found yourself into this world. I think it's just so authentic the way you stumbled upon everything. And yeah, so I can't wait. I love the way that you reframe like Ayurveda for our generation. And I know that our audience, some people are definitely familiar with Ayurveda. We've had, you know, multiple guests, like I'm sure, you know, um, some of the spas in LA and that, you know, I'm blanking on the name right now, but Marta from Surya Spa. Do you happen to know her? I haven't met her in person, but I've heard of her and, and Surya. I love her so much. And, um, I, I did a lot of work around just the postpartum period after I had my son, I did Ayurvedic massages and, um, literally lived off Kitchery for three months after I had my son. And, um, I used to study yoga and teach yoga. And so I felt like that was just like the natural next thing to learn more and get into Ayurveda. But I loved reading your latest book and learning about how you really felt like you had lost yourself and how Ayurveda helped you. And another thing I loved was I never really understood the difference or not that I never thought of karma in the way that you framed it and like the difference between living your karma and your dharma. And that's something that really resonated. So there's so many topics I want to get into, but I think first, especially for our audience, um, it's really beautiful to learn more about just kind of how you found yourself in this work. Mm. So as a child, I was a spiritual kid, but I never, you know, really took it seriously. And in fact, when I was in fourth grade, I was thrown down a hill for being a witch. So I learned young in life that it was not safe for me to be magical. And I always just knew this lifetime is about me helping people. So I would always look at, okay, how do I just help the most people possible? And I would just see Gandhi, Mother Teresa, all these huge figures like this. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to sacrifice this lifetime to be of service because that's the ultimate way to, to help serve humanity. So I went into human rights and I, you know, was the president of Amnesty International and worked with a lot of NGOs and went to school in DC, studying international development and was working with different nonprofit organizations for immigrant and refugee rights. And by the way, are you Persian? Yeah. Iranian? Yeah. You look yeah. at, yeah. My, my family also is Iranian. Oh, so, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. My mom's like ancestry came from India, but they, she lived in Iran. So, oh, wow. um, so Where's your dad from? You're on Esfahani. Oh, no, both of Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, <laughs> like, I speak Farsi fluently. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I can always tell a Persian when I, when I see yeah. one. So I think also growing up, you know, Persian, you hear about, like, the Iran-Iraq war. And my mom had to, like, fled on foot during that time and the revolution and just, like, 
human rights were this huge, my uncles were political prisoners. It was just this huge thing that you really feel viscerally. So I thought that's how I'll help the world. And in college, I was working at these, these nonprofit organizations and I felt so disconnected from actually helping people. I was realizing how bureaucratic these institutions are and just not feeling in alignment with my truth. I have always been a creative person and I love to write and all these other different gifts, but I wasn't sure how that would ever turn into a job. And it was this really confusing time for me because my whole life I thought I'm going to be this international human rights lawyer and here I am doing it and I'm so miserable. So not that I, I was still in college at this time. So at this time, I wasn't sure what I was meant to do. And I started to go through different health issues. I was never into health. Nutrition is not even something I thought about before, but it started with digestive issues. And from digestive issues, it turned into hormonal imbalances, turned into not getting my period a year passed, two years passed. I did not get a single menstrual cycle. So in this time, my Persian mom is so afraid and she's like, what a doctor, like, you yeah. know, like trying to send me like, so I'm getting all these blood tests and seeing all these doctors. And there's, they said my body had gone into perimenopause and I was 21 years old. So it stopped producing all hormones. Like it was just at a postmenopausal woman's hormone, no estrogen, three testosterone and zero estrogen. So they said with this, I would probably become handicapped at a young age because my body does not, you know, my bones don't have enough estrogen that I I would just eventually get osteoporosis so bad that I wouldn't be able to walk. And then of course not be able to have children. And there's so many other side effects to not having hormones in your body from depression to all forms of eczema, just so many, it's a ripple effect of different issues. So I kept going to different doctors and they're like, we'll take antidepressants, take hormone replacement therapy, take this IBS medication, take this, take that, take that. And intuitively I knew something deeper was wrong, but I didn't, no doctor would sit with me long enough to figure it out. So I started to just become obsessed with learning about holistic health for myself, you know, and this journey took me to studying, well, first took me into the whole raw vegan world, which I think contributed to these hormonal imbalances of being yeah. raw vegan, but I then totally later like brought me into, yeah. yeah. And that was like such a thing in like 2008. It was like okay. only eat bananas and you're the healthiest yeah. person ever. I'm like, okay, well I live in freezing cold Boston <laughs> and I'm only drinking coconut water. So this is not working for me. Yeah. And then you don't get enough, um, cholesterol, which then like creates hormones and helps you develop your hormones even more. So yeah, it's a, it becomes an issue. That's exactly actually what happened to me. So when I was reading about your journey, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. We need to chat. <laughs> yeah. So it eventually took me to studying different ancient health systems and Ayurveda. And I had heard of Ayurveda before. Like I'm sure your parents would tell you too, this is warming, this is cooling. Inside, yeah, inside, inside. Yeah, and yeah, totally. so I like could hear heard this stuff before, but I never took it seriously, to be honest. I thought it was like not scientific, but I started to rediscover Ayurveda and I took a dosha quiz. And for the first time reading everything about this archetype, this Vata dosha, I was able to see not only all of my physical issues, bloating, gas, constipation, hormonal imbalance, anxiety, all of it, but also my personality, like creative, idealistic, loves to travel, has all these different ideas, multi-passionate. And for the first time I felt so understood, like, oh my gosh, it's as if I'm like reading my autobiography here, just like if I die, read Vata, 
you got yeah. me, you know? <laughs> so I just became obsessed with learning everything I could about Ayurveda, which at the time I was volunteering back and forth in India, teaching health and sanitation, in the slums outside of um, New Delhi. And I decided to sign up for Ayurveda school. And in that learning Ayurveda in India, I was also just faced with a lot of like questions of like, well, how will this work in today's society? And, you know, I'm reading this here. Does this match here? And like so many things, you know, really worked hand in hand and so many other things I feel like worked at that time and maybe needed an upgrade. So I started to naturally just want to share this, you know, when you're so excited about something, which I'm sure you've experienced with the fullest is like, mm -hmm. I want to share this with other people. So that led me to, you know, I was blogging at the time and it led me to wanting to write a book. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a book on Ayurveda to help bring it to, you know, millennials like me who are dealing with these hormonal imbalances and digestive issues. And this is when my journey of my Dharma really began because, you know, okay, I'm just going to write a book. And <laughs> sometimes I think that that naivete is, is bliss, but then my parents were like, wait, you're going to write a book? Like you're not a doctor. Like, like, who do you think you are? You're going to be a starving no. artist. You're going to end up homeless. Like that's never going to happen. And it was, these years of my life that some moments I felt so, so aligned with, I'm, I've gone through these health issues and now have solved these health issues because it was part of my story to now share with others. And then other times I'm like, you know what, maybe my parents are right. Maybe I am being selfish by trying to live my own life. Maybe I am delusional or wishful thinking. And these years were a lot of deep inner growth, spiritual growth. I, I bought a flight to Bali. I had never even been to Bali and just seeing people for the first time there, like really living their dharmas. And I would ask everyone, I'm like, do your parents know you're here? Like, are they okay yeah. with it? Like, it was like so weird to me because, you know, and some of them were like, yeah, my parents are like, visit me all the time. And some of them are like, no, we haven't spoken in 10 years. So I had to get to this point that I could either make them happy or me, but it wasn't going to be both. Yeah. And I knew that I would never be able to even fully be the daughter that I wanted to be and love them if I was always resentful for them of, I didn't get to try, you know, writing my book and like living this, this truth that I have inside of me because of you. So eventually I decided to just go for it. And, you know, I share the story in the book more in depth with my father specifically said, he's, I'm dead to him. He disowned me and said, I don't want anything to do with you. You are a disgrace to me. I wish I never had you and never speak to me again. Yeah, so at this time, I was just like, wow, I guess everything they told me as a kid of like, follow your dreams. Like, you know, <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? It was all bullshit because yeah. here I am doing it and I'm, I'm a disgrace and I'm dead to him. And then this feeling of like numbness washed over me. And for the first time I realized, well, if I don't have anyone else to live for, then I'm just going to live for myself. And this feeling of just unfuck with ability of like, I'm just going to go for it and there is no one else out there that I need to make happy at this point. So I went all in. I went back to India and spent the next year there and eventually wrote my book and then was hired to write The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda and then walked up to Deepak Chopra at a conference and he wrote the forward of that book and then wrote Eat, Feel Fresh and A Yogic Path and now Discover Your Dharma and have written you know four books now and created my deck and journal and community and so many other things. And the question I kept getting from people was like, how are you able to overcome those years, those limiting beliefs? How are you able to actually like do the thing? And that is why I wrote Discover Your Dharma. Taking a quick break from our episode to tell you about a new brand we've partnered with. 
If you have trouble sleeping or struggle with anxiety or physical pain, these ailments can make daily life extremely difficult, and it's hard to find an effective solution without turning to pharma-grade medicines. For those of you wanting a natural solution that works, we've teamed up with Right Wellness to share with you the healing benefits of CBN. You may not be familiar with it, but cannabinol or CBN is not the same as CBD. Some people find CBN is more sedating and therefore more effective in helping you sleep and feel relaxed. Wright's CBN tincture is the natural plant-based alternative that can put you on a path to overall health and wellness using a blend of hemp CBN, MCT, and vitamin E oil. This is a tincture that will help you find the relief you deserve. Head over to rightwellness.co and for 20% off your Right Wellness Co. order, use code THEFULLEST at checkout. Wow. And what do you say in Discover Your Dharma about that? I know there's so much in there, but I I feel really um, just the same as you. I felt like I knew from an early age that I just needed to do what I was going to do and not really listen, especially Persian parents. I mean, they like to place their own views on life on you and being a doctor or lawyer is definitely like up there. And, um, I had like the opposite experience where my dad was really supportive and my mom wanted like a really young child protege. Like she was like, Oh my God, you can like graduate early and then do this and do this. And you'll be like a super young doctor. And I'm like, that's what you want. I don't want that. But anyways, like they're both super supportive, but my sister actually, um, I don't know if you have any, do you have any siblings? I do. I have a younger brother. I have an older sister and she actually like the opposite happened where she felt so much guilt. She allowed their, you know, ideas to just dictate what she wanted to do because she always wanted to please them. And she found herself in a place where she felt super resentful, not only towards them, but towards me because I just didn't listen. And it wasn't that I didn't listen. I mean, they, it was like, I went to, um, after college, like I went to raw vegan culinary school and they were so like, you know, they just kept saying, what are you doing? Why do you keep doing like these yoga programs and then raw vegan school and all this? And I'm like, it, it all makes sense. Eventually it'll make sense. I'm learning, but, um, you know, they were like definitely against it. But then at my graduation, you know, they'd come and they'd be really excited for me and appreciate and understand like at the end of it. Persians like, love a graduation. I totally <laughs> love it. Oh my, God. And then my sister would be like, what? You know, I, it's really hard for her. I mean, to this day, like this is super personal, but like I share this probably a lot on the podcast where, you know, I find, I feel like I learned so much from her. And I think that it's not just her, it's the, a majority of people. Like you said, there's these limiting beliefs. It's not just, you know, not just because my parents said don't do it, but also because you already have that inside yourself. You already have that conversation with yourself that's already difficult to get out of that. And then to have the people closest to you shut you down like that, especially with you, with your dad. It's very similar, my sister and my dad, with you and your dad. And I think, like, um, yeah, I'm curious, like, how do you? Uh, do you have a really, this is personal, but do you have a relationship with him now? Or is it kind of like you shut me out when I needed you most? Or I appreciate that you did that because now I know I can live for myself and not for anyone else. Mm. So 
when I decided to write Discover Your Dharma, I was like, okay, I'm going to help others find their dharma, but not share any of my own journey because I can't, like my parents would kill me. Like those years are gone. Like they've passed and like, we don't talk about them, you know? Yeah. And it was, the Persians do that too. It's like, just don't, totally. don't talk about that thing that happened. Everything is great. Yeah. So it was really difficult because I'm like, I can't write this book and not share my own story, especially because I think so many people are experiencing that right now. And it was really that final stage of the healing to be able to also really see it from his perspective. Like my dad came to America with no money. His whole life has been around survival. He was trying to do whatever he could to fit in and not stand out. And here's this daughter who's going to India and Bali and saying she's channeling your deceased dad. He's like, what the <laughs> hell is happening? And I want you to be safe. I don't want you to have to experience the uncertainty that I have. So even if it means me yelling at you and getting really aggressive and saying really harsh things, that's the only way I know how to stop you from doing something that I think is going to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. So in sharing the story, I was really tapping into what he was experiencing at that time as well. And just how, you know, in their time, there was no such thing as the internet, you know, like our, yeah. our careers couldn't have existed in their time. So of course they're going to think that. And just because it is a privilege to live your Dharma and it is, and most of the world is not even having this conversation just because it is a privilege. And maybe our parents never got to experience their Dharma. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't. In fact, we are standing upon their shoulders and the reason why they worked as hard as they did and even sacrificed as much as they did is so we could start from this higher place. Mm -hmm. And that's the progression of humanity. I hope my kids will never have to even explain themselves to anyone and can be like, yeah, I'm going to solve world, world hunger and just do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's what your, your son and the children in this generation are going to do because we've done a, a level of growth as a, our parents. And that's, we are all living ancestors. So I needed to go through that journey of hearing someone else say my own fears to become stronger than them. Because we all have our own stories. I'm not good enough. I'm going to fail. No one cares what I think. I'm confused. I'm lost. Those were definitely my stories. And then to hear them back echoed to me by my dad, well, okay, if I can't handle him saying it, how am I going to handle now a literary agent saying it? And then how am I going to handle a press saying it? You know, like these things are always going to continue. So it's like, we actually get the opportunity to battle them in the microcosm. And then you kind of like reach that level and it goes to the next one. So I needed to have all of those fears echoed back to me from my father to become stronger than them. And then I got rejected by 30 literary agents and publishers who said the same thing. So here I am, here are my fears again. Are you going to let them dictate your life or not? And when I was able to still say, you know, even if you don't see this book happening, I do, then Source provided the next opportunity for it to happen. And I think that so many of us were like wanting to make this ripple effect on humanity and, and share our gifts and, and share our voices, but we also want to be liked by everyone. Yeah. That doesn't happen. You can't be known by everyone and liked by everyone. You know, yeah. it's, it's, you, you got to choose. Even if you stay in your tiny ass cave, there are going to be people who don't like you. So yes. I think so many of us, especially as women, we're just these people pleasers. And it is part of our biology to like know what the village is saying about us, to know that we're safe. But we're going to be confronted by our own fears and insecurities in the voices of others to give us the opportunity to transcend them. That's so beautiful. I totally agree with everything you say. And I think that's a beautiful segue into, you know, if you don't live your Dharma, then what are you living? And if you can explain 
the difference between karma and dharma to people on this um, that are listening, that would be awesome. Yeah. So I like to think of it that we were each born on this highway and this highway is guiding us towards our dharma. That dharma is your soul's purpose. It's the big reason why you are here. It's not what you do. It's not one career, job, role, relationship. It is you at your fullest expression. So I'm here to bring beauty to the world, or I'm here to connect women to their bodies or connect people to the plants or whatever that mission statement is. That's your dharma, your, your fullest frequency. It's the energy in which only you can carry. So you were born completely in alignment with it. In fact, it's, it, it's inevitable. If you just continue down this highway and follow the flow, you're going to naturally reach there. If you ask a kid, what are you interested in? I guarantee you it's something directly related to their dharma. If you continue to ask that, they'll end up exactly where they need to be. However, our society has essentially built itself to become based off of not us living our dharmas, but based off of us feeding the system, right? This system of, of capitalism and consumerism and our governments, et cetera, which I won't totally go into. So our, our systems are not meant for us to thrive in living our dharmas. And we haven't seen other people living their dharmas either. So it kind of feels like this like Santa Claus of like, I think it exists, but I'm not sure. And then you get older and it's like, oh no, no, that was all bullshit. Like there is no Santa Claus. There is no dharma. So we're on this highway and then we see everyone getting off of these exits. These exits say, hey, you'll make more money doing this or your parents will be really proud of you if you become a doctor, especially if you're like a 20-year-old doctor. Or, well, everyone from college is moving to New York and getting a job in finance, so you should do that too. Or, <laughs> entertainer, that's never going to happen. Like, you're not good enough to ever make it on American Idol or whatever the story is telling you. So it's like all of these different exits, all of these different reasons why we should get off of the highway. And we catch ourselves and we're like, wait, I'm the only person on this highway now. If I don't get off on an exit too, maybe it will be too late. So we get off of an exit. I'll make more money doing this, or this is a safer career path. The universe wants us to be living our dharma. In fact, the only way the world can come into balance is if all of us are living our dharmas because we were each designed to solve unique world problems. So when we get off of these exits, the universe responds in the only language that we humans reply to, pain, suffering. So we get off this exit of, let's say I'm, I'm meant to be on Broadway and entertain and connect people to their laughter, but I decide to go into finance. And at first the universe is like tap, 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 something feels off. I'm feeling really anxious. I really don't want to go to work in the morning. But I look around, I ask other people at the office, well, do you want to go to work in the morning? They're like, no, of course not. Everyone hates it here. You're like, okay, I guess this is what adulting is all about. So you continue to get off that exit. So that universe is like, okay, well, I guess we're gonna have to get a little bit louder. She's not listening. So clap, clap, punch, punch. Maybe it's breakdowns, anxiety attacks, you know, things really going wrong. But again, we think, well, I guess life's tough. Get a helmet. You just got to get used to it. So oftentimes we just continue. And then the universe is like, okay, I will get as loud as you need. Collision, accident, breakdown, on your knees moment. Finally, many of us will make that shift then. But, but still, some people don't because we have free will. Just because you have a dharma doesn't mean you're going to live it in this lifetime. So these different actions that the universe is doing are called karma. Karma, bounded action by the universe to keep you in alignment with your dharma. And this is one of the many definitions of karma. So 
the karma is not happening because you're a bad person or because you did something bad in your past life or, or whatever else it is. It's actually that bounded action by the universe, like the barricades on the side of the highway to get you back into alignment. So when things are feeling off and sticky and begrudging and you just don't want to be doing the thing, that means something needs to shift because you're not meant to live from that state. We just have collectively decided as a society that that is normal, but it's it's not. So then when you make that U-turn and you're like, okay, I need to leave this job or I need to change that relationship or move or whatever else it is, you start to pick up momentum. You're getting back on that highway. And that's when you start to meet the right people at the right time. And you listen to a podcast that says exactly what you need to hear. Maybe you're having that right now. You go on Instagram and you open up and it's like the quote that like is exactly the thing you were thinking about that morning. And it's almost like the universe is now propelling you in the direction of your dharma. Now, this is called Kriya, boundless action by the universe flow. So life was meant to be lived in flow. We are meant to be living in alignment with our dharma. The universe is propelling us and supporting us because it wants us to be living in alignment with our dharma. So Kriya is actually our normal. And I remember when I first met Deepak and he was doing this Facebook live and he was sharing a bit about like flow state and meaningful synchronicities. And I was like, I sent him an email. I'm like, and I was still very, very nervous. And I was like, Hey, uh, Dr. Chopra, um, can you always live in flow? Like don't periods of flow have to be like balanced by periods of inertia to like, you know, bring it back into balance. Cause I'm used to, well, whenever something good happens, something bad is around the corner. So brace yourself. Cause shit, it's going to hit the fan at any moment that I like couldn't even accept a worldview that like flow is like an everyday natural thing. Like, of, of course I had that thought and it showed up on the radio and he replied, if you're not living in flow, then something is off. So that was just an invitation for me to shift my worldview that, you know, when I first met Deepak and he asked to write the forward of my book and to be on his team and all this stuff, I was like, okay, like this is going to be that like one week of my life. I like tell my grandkids about and like shit's going to get normal again. So I better just remember this right now instead of like, no, this is just how it is now. And I think so many of us, we subconsciously do that. We like push away the Kriya. We push away the flow because we're not used to receiving such a level of support. So it's like when you're experiencing that synchronicity and experiencing that flow, be like, thank you. Yes, more please. Keep guiding me. Keep showing the, me the way because truly we're all channels. We're all here to be conduits of the divine, however you want to call that. Nothing is coming from you. It's only coming through you. So when you can get out of your own way, receive, and then take aligned action, you will end up in places that your soul could have never imagined. Yeah. And talking about like pushing it away, I think it's kind of the same thing as self-sabotage, right? Because it's like, I'm not comfortable. This is not actually meant for me. I'm supposed to live in this space where I'm sad, I'm down, and I like I'm comfortable with being at this job that I don't like because I'm uncomfortable with, you know, actually living my dharma or being in the flow. So I'm curious in your book if you talk about I don't know what are ways where you can because I feel like a lot of times with self-sabotage, you don't even know you're doing it, maybe if you're not, you know, aware, or some people know it because they're they've identified what that action is, but then they're just gonna do it over and over because they don't know how to break that habit. But um, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah. So, you know, in chapter eight of the book, it's really about the most common obstacles keeping people from living their Dharma. And this is definitely one of them. And 
I think it's important for us to, to really understand that your dharma is not this like one time instant thing. It's not like you're not doing your dharma and then you're like doing it. I feel like we put so much pressure on ourselves of just to like figure it out and like have the business and have the book and have the TV show like yesterday. And it's not really like that. So I break it down into these five stages of dharma discovery. And I think it's helpful because it lets you see like they're all really continual. And even with these stages, it's not a linear pattern. Like sometimes you go to one, you shift into another. I think of it more like a spiral. We're always spiraling into our dharma. So if we can think of a spiral in our minds, we look at our childhood and we look at our relationship to self and our passions and all of these things. And then we spiral away from it. And then we come back to it from a deeper level and a deeper level and a deeper level. So it's not that you're sabotaging yourself. It's that you just don't know yourself. I think that's really what's happening. We're taking action without knowing who we are. So that first stage of Dharma discovery is just that self-awareness seeing, okay, this is where my life is heading right now. If I don't change anything five years from now, I'm going to end up, you know, I remember I had this like brief internship at an ad agency and there was this like eight month pregnant lady next to me and she's like yelling on the phone. And I was like, Oh my God, if that is me one day, like I failed because I don't want to be in that state, especially when I'm super pregnant, you know? So it's like, look at the trajectory that you're, if you don't change anything right now, where's your life going to be five years from now? Do you like it or not? Mm -hmm. A lot of people would say, no, I don't. So it's just that self-awareness that, okay, something needs to shift and that shift needs to happen for me because no one else is going to find your dharma for you. That's an inside job. So that stage two is self-improvement. How can I improve myself? How can I become my best version of me? So it may be meditation, yoga, nutrition, eating healthier, exercising more, taking care of your physical and mental bodies, self-help books, motivational speakers, personal growth, therapy. So we need to do these things to make our baseline vibration coming from a higher state. You know, you can't go from like apathetic to like channeling your dharma. You you aren't at that vibrational level yet to even be in the frequency to receive it. And what that means in just like really tangible terms is you're not going to come up with great ideas when you feel like shit, you know? So you got to go on that journey of self-improvement. And this is a really important step to be on. I feel like sometimes we're like, want to step to the 5D and we haven't mastered the 3D, you know, it's like, okay, what is your relationship to your body yourself? I'm sure your listeners are very into this kind of thing already, but that's not the end. It doesn't end there. You know, I used to be so obsessed with my health because I had bad health, but then once I got the good health, quote unquote, I'm like, well, now what, like, what do I do with this health? Like, what is the purpose of health? You know, the purpose of a perfect digestion is not to get a gold star. It's not to be like, no bloat, bitch. You know, it's like, so you aren't in pain and suffering and you can take that energy on raising the vibration of the planet. So naturally what happens in this stage two of self-improvement, we realize that we are not a mind and a body to improve, but rather a soul to know. And nothing was ever wrong with us. And we were never broken. There was nothing to fix. It's just that we didn't know ourselves. So that brings us into stage three, spiritual awakening. Now that may bring you deeper into meditation, but instead of like to focus your attention more, it's more to know the truth of who you are. It may bring you into human design, astrology, Ayurveda, 
deep deepening your yoga understanding into like what yoga is really about understanding yourself on a deeper level. So I think probably a lot of your listeners are here. I think a lot of people because of 2020 have like shifted into here. They've never thought about it before. And this stage can feel very lonely because suddenly the veils have lifted and you're like, oh my God, there's so much more to the world out there. And like, why aren't people talking about this? And it can feel very overwhelming and very me against the world of like, I need to wake up the people. The people are crazy. Like they are sheeps and like we are awake. And it can be this really um, divisive and combative energy. And that's why so many people, they feel like they're dying. They feel like they're going crazy. They don't know how to, how to handle. So this is normal if this is happening for you. And the invitation is to find the tools and practices to make you feel more integrated. And as you find, maybe it's breath work, sound baths, meditation, whatever it is that works for you, you shift from me against the world to, well, I was born here as part of the world. So obviously I have some role to play in it. And you move into stage four. Now, this is a more grounded stage. It's more anchored. You have your modalities, your tools, your practices, and you've probably deepened into certain ones. Maybe you've done yoga teacher trainings or have read a lot about a specific lineage, Buddhism, whatever it is. Or maybe it's more about architecture or nutrition or technology or whatever is related to your dharma, you start to really go deep into researching and studying and understanding things in your area of interest. So what happens in this stage is you naturally want to share it. You know, you maybe want to share it with your friends, your family, maybe social media. And as you share it, you gain more courage and you are able to find your voice and then your unique forms of expression and your unique way of seeing the world. So then instead of saying, well, Abraham Hicks said this and Buddha said this and that person said that, it's, well, what do I think? You know, now knowing all of this. And that brings us into stage five, Dharma embodiment. So Dharma embodiment is truly when the inner and outer you have, have met. So it's not like me at work and me outside of work are two different people. It's you are being you full time. And what's so beautiful about the stage is all areas of your life need to come into alignment because anything that's not is holding you back. So your friendships, relationships, home, like all of that is going to need to shift because you're actually fueled by serving humanity. It's so many, so much bigger than you, you know, the biggest energetic shift that happens in stage five is you move from me to we consciousness. Me needs to happen before. How do I have practice self-care, self-love, self-boundaries, self-knowledge? You need to focus on the self. However, when you're living in alignment with your dharma, it's no longer about you. You know, you're not, you're not doing the baths and the Reiki so you can like separate yourselves. You're actually doing it so you can have more energy to be of service to humanity. So you're energized from this larger place that I'm sure you feel it when you are doing these podcasts and you're writing and you're like coming up with ideas for the fullest. You're actually gaining more energy from doing it because you're tapped into this like immense, infinite source of energy, like a waterfall that you're just tuned into and it's channeling through you. So this is really what Dharma embodiment is about. It's, it's about living a life that there is no need to separate from or escape from. Like you really are a living embodiment of your Dharma. And it's not just what you do, but even the energy that you carry, the frequency that you carry is a living expression of this. And every single person was born to live their Dharma. It is every person's birthright. It is possible for every single person. And I think that we may be the first generation to experience like potentially everyone living their dharma in this lifetime. 
I love that enthusiasm because I really hope that. And I think about that a lot with my son and I'm pregnant with my daughter and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the world. I mean, going back to stage three, right? Is this the world that they're going to be born into? What is happening? Um, I have such a different view on everything happening in the world and what COVID um, is here to teach us, right? I really believe it's just like uh, telling, it's telling us that we weren't living our dharma as a society. And the reason why the United States has, you know, 20 or 4% of the world's population and 20% of the world's deaths is because of things like you're saying, we're not taking care of our most vulnerable in a way that benefits them. We're not giving people time to find out who they truly are and what they truly need. They're working three jobs. They don't even talk about our parents, right? They never had the opportunity to look within because they were, most people are just in survival mode. And, um, and yeah, I, I really feel so privileged and so lucky to have the opportunity to do this work. And that's why I feel like I'm here and I'm sure you resonate. It's, it's almost like, I feel like it's our duty because that's just the next step for all of us to get to this place. And I really believe that once you do that ancestral healing, then you free everyone before you and everyone after you. And so I just think it's so amazing that a lot of people are coming to this place, but and are on the journey because I, I mean, I couldn't imagine like, you know, before when I was dreaming about what type of job I want or what my life is going to be like, I, you know, I knew that I wanted children. I wanted them to be around. I didn't, I didn't want to compartmentalize my life where my son can't come to my office if I want him to, or my, you know, everyone is just kind of like, it's what you said, this village mentality. Um, but if I, you know, from day one was like, I want to get there now, then I would have never had that journey to make the decisions and have, you know, have the thick skin to look at YouTube comments of people saying that girl is so fucking annoying. I hate her. She sounds so lame or whatever, you know, I mean, all the comments about people hating you or loving you. I mean, it's all great information and, and seeing it as information and maybe a way to improve how you bring information into the world rather than taking things personally. So everything that you have said has totally resonated and and I find it so beautiful and I love the way that you have shared it, whether it's through your podcast or in your books. And and I'm so, you know, just grateful because I think having conversations like this, whether we feel that we're living this path or it's sharing it with others, it's so important because it's just a reminder for everyone that we're like you said, like we're here for a reason. And I think is that what you said that was like stage three? Was that stage three? That we realize? Yeah. Yeah. Stage three is that spiritual awakening. So it's just realizing that there's so much more out there and that we are these enormous souls that we just don't know everything about. Yeah. And I think it's such a pivotal moment because I think right now I we're in that space where, okay, this is happening in our society. Um, some people are afraid, rightfully so, this is happening. But but what opportunity does this give us? Are we able to learn from this? Are we able to, you know, shift our perspective and see things a little differently so that we can take care of each other in a, in a way that like has longevity? You know, I, I, 
And I talk about this a lot. I've interviewed, you know, Robin from Parsley Health. And she even said this, she was like, listen, like a vaccine isn't going to solve our problem. It's as a whole, we need to address everything that is happening in a society. And and, you know, talk about like environmental stuff. And there's just so much that we can do. And there's so much work for all of us to do. So I love that you said, all of us need to live our dharma to heal the world. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. Because everyone has different interests, you know, like I'm really into health and wellness. And yes, that goes into everything, the health of our environment, the health of our mind, the health of our body. But, but then there's specifics, like someone needs to, you know, solve why our water is so dirty uh, or, you know, why our soil is filled with GMOs and glyphosate and how we're going to solve that. Because obviously the farmers are going to tell us the real answer. And it's so fun to, to talk about it and to dissect it and to learn about it. And yeah, I think it's really cool to be able to like have the opportunity to even discuss it because it's so, I think most people are in a place where they just can't even look yet. They, I mean, I find like my dad is so in his like business mind all the time. And even with like a successful business, I feel like he's just always allowed himself to be super busy in that. I mean, he's a great dad and all about family, but I would say like looking into this stuff is he's like, I don't have time for that, you know? And I think most people are like that, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, one resource that I created are the Dharma archetypes. And I feel like it's a really helpful tool. And I have the full assessment in the book, Discover Your Dharma. And I have like a little abbreviated version free online, dharmaarchetypequiz.com. And it allows you to see what are the archetypes that are most prevalent in you. So for example, your dad probably has the entrepreneur archetype, Mm -hmm. like that entrepreneur, like wants to be solving a problem all of the time. And it's a very masculine energy to it, but it's like, give me something to fix. And it has a very logical way of seeing things. It's very analytical and it's important for them to allow themselves to have that time and space. But maybe the secondary archetype was like the entertainer or like the artist or, or something else that he hasn't, you know, given himself a chance to dive into because it was just not what was accepted by society or expected from a man at that time. So we are all all nine of these archetypes, but in varying amounts. So for example, my two main archetypes are visionary and teacher. So the visionary is here to channel the new paradigm, is here to be the bridge, is here to see the new way and inspire people. So a lot of you know, spiritual teachers and authors, et cetera, will have that visionary archetype. The teacher is here to share knowledge. So just if you are someone that's like always wanting to teach, like you go through life, like transmuting a lesson and like wanting to teach it to someone else, like that's going to be that teacher archetype. So I'm sure, you know, not only yourself, but so many people on your team who write articles for you have that teacher archetype of like, Hey, I learned about, you know, the soil degradation. I want to teach about that. I learned about this. I want to teach about that. And that's, that's their Dharma to share knowledge. Another one is the nurturer. The nurturer is here to care and connect. So think Oprah energy. They really want to dive deep with people, listen to their stories, hold space for them, making them feel loved. So for some of us, 
that is really our happiest place. And we look at, oh shit, well, in business, I guess the next logical step is for me to have a course or for me to just go on stage or do whatever else. But if you're a nurturer, like your most successful version of you could be like really working with a couple one-on-one clients that you just love diving deep into or like making a preschool or like nursing or something like that. If you're the artist, you are here to bring beauty to the world and you see the world as like mediums that you can express through. So maybe you are able to like make beautiful things with like recycled like articles of clothing that you find or take like a breakup and and make poetry out of it. And and we need that. We've always had artists. It's like very mundane to live in this world without artists. Every single society in the world has it. So maybe you're meant to be the artist of this time to like, let us just see the world through this new lens. Another one is the entertainer. They are here to make us feel. So they're here to make us not only laugh, but think feel nostalgic, cry, like experience all of the emotions. And they are here to raise consciousness through that modality of entertainment. So think Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, he's like Bruno and Borat and Ali G, but he's like entertaining us into seeing the world in a new way or Jim Carrey as an example. Then we have the activist like Marianne Williamson, who's like here to bring about like social, political, environmental change. You know, 2020 in many ways was the year of the activist, seeing what was our relationship with our own inner activist. And that for some people, that's very much their dharma. Like they have always been activists. They're here to be activists. And for some people, that's like their least archetype and it felt very uncomfortable to step into. So it's like honoring, you know, that we each were born with these different archetypes. We also have the researcher, the warrior, et cetera. And that if we can just truly like allow ourselves and allow others to live in alignment with their dharma archetypes, we will have solutions for all of the world's problems. I love that. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. And really, you know, it just leaves me in a place where I'm super hopeful for the world. And I'm excited to share this information with everyone. Thank you so much for joining Sahara. Uh, Thank you for having me, Nikki. It was an honor to be here today.